For the next uh, four Thursdays, I want to look with you at the call of Elijah. We began in 1 Kings 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel, so that I may drink. As she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, and only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm now gathering a couple of sticks so they may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. His illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She then said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You've come to bring to me my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. But he said to her, Give me your son. He took him from her bosom and carried him up into the upper chamber where he was lodging, and he laid him on his own bed. He cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I am staying by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and gave him to his mother. Then Elijah said, See, your son is alive. So the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. The word of the Lord. Holy God, we've placed our lives in front of this ancient narrative, believing that it is your holy word. And we ask that in these moments that the Spirit would carry this word deep into our hearts. We ask it in the name of the word made flesh. Amen. We don't know very much about the origins of Elijah the Tishbite, 
except that he's a Tishbite. But we don't know about his family, his ancestry, his education. We don't know about his formative early experiences in life. That's because the call of God is not as interested in where you have been as it is in where you are going. And the call of God is very interested in who you trust along the way. As we'll see next week, Elijah will soon climb Mount Carmel and lead the nation of Israel into a showdown over their allegiances to God. But before he can begin his public ministry, he first has to find faith in God in his own life. When you leave Princeton Seminary, you will eventually find yourself in a position of leadership. And almost daily in this position, you will encounter significant challenges. Challenges that ask you if you still have faith in God. And before you can lead the people in this belief in God's great faithfulness, you've got to discover that belief in your own life. On Mount Carmel, Elijah speaks to all the people that phrase comes up over and over, all the people. But this part of the story is about what Elijah discovers in his own life, the belief that he will have to have to face all the people. Because when you are a leader of a faith community, they need to at least believe that you believe. A great famine came upon the land. And Elijah would use this famine as an invitation for the people to decide who would be their God. Would it be Baal or the Lord God? And yet before he could speak to all the people about this choice, before he could stand before them as if to take a stand on the national issues, he had to get his own issues with God resolved. It's not that hard to have a stand on the issues. But let the leaders remember that the issues have names and faces and stories that will break your heart. And if your stand on the issues is going to have integrity, you've got to get right up close to them. So Elijah is sent to the home of a widow and her son. They live in Zarephath, which is Phoenicia. It's, it's home central to Baal worship. Baal that promised fertility. And yet there's a famine in the land that is killing the poor. This woman is down to her last jar of meal. Her plan is to use it for one last supper with her son before they then die. I don't know what her stand is on the issue. I just know that she's desperate, beaten down by the issues. Elijah asked her to first make him a meal, then she can feed herself and her son. She tries to explain that she doesn't have that much food. 
So Elijah then promises that if she will just surrender what little she is holding to him, that the jar of meal will not run out. That's an incredible condition. Surrender what little you are holding. We all have some jar of meal that we're saving to the end. Maybe it's the work that's left after the relationship is gone. Or the health that's left after the work is gone. Or the money that's left after the health is gone. Or maybe it's that voice you have cherished in the back of your mind that says you're still young. And if this ministry thing doesn't work out, you can always start over. But it's only a matter of time before whatever jar of meal you're clinging to is going to run out. But this was, let's get back to the text, this was no metaphor for this woman. This was her last meal. After eating this, she and her son were going to starve to death. Incredibly, she chooses to trust the promise that Elijah makes. She serves him the meal first, the prophet of God. And as a result, the jar of meal and the jug of oil don't run out. Now, if I was writing this story, that's where I would end the chapter. A great ending. Elijah has seen the issues of the nation up close. He's discovered the faithfulness of God. Now he's ready for his ministry. But no, to engage this ministry, he has to be a man of faith. And no one finds faith just from seeing a miracle. In time, the woman's son becomes very ill and he dies, not from starvation, but from the illness. And the woman is distraught and she yells at Elijah, what, what have you done, O man of God? You've come to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. But Elijah isn't accepting this explanation. He is in a theological quandary himself. And so he cries out, O Lord, why have you brought calamity even upon this widow with whom I am staying by killing her son. Why, God, why? That question is never answered in Scripture, but it has to be asked, especially by the leaders who see the pathos of the people around them, who take it to heart. Why, oh God, why? Elijah throws himself over the child three times and begs God to restore life to this boy. And the text says, the Lord listened to Elijah and the life returned to the child. The Lord listened to Elijah. When he stood in front of all the people, he would have to believe that the Lord would listen to his voice. But you know, it's not that hard to believe in our prayers for all the people. What's hard is to believe in our prayers for the tragedy at home. 
But until you have in anguish cried out to God, why? At home. Until you've thrown yourself over the loss in your own life, you're never going to be able to believe for all the people. When the woman saw her child alive again, she said to Elijah, now, now, I believe the words of the Lord in your mouth. Notice she did not say that after seeing the jar of meal just continue and not run out. The miracle did not give her faith. She couldn't say that she believed the words of the Lord from his mouth until she discovered the mystery of God that is so much stronger than the reality of death. That's what engenders faith. The Baals promise so many things that only keep death at bay for a while. Baal says, you got to, you've got to eat better. You've got to think more clearly. You've got to save. Baal says, you've got to work harder and sleep more. By the way, that's not even consistent advice from Baal. Work harder and sleep more. <laughs> but the Lord God isn't all that interested in just helping you keep death at bay or preventing loss. No, the Lord God's interest is in that realm of new life that unfolds only after the dreams are gone. That's what all the people that you serve need to discover. That's what they need to find because it's only a matter of time before their dreams crash on the rocks and they're going to come to church, they're going to come to their pastor, they're going to come into your classroom and they're going to be searching for hope. They've got to believe there's something more, that there's something new. They've got to believe, again, they've got to believe that at least you believe. But you can't believe that the promise is true for them until maybe in anguish even, you discover that it was true for you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.